My Fame Explained podcast episode nine, Adrian Bankert. Part of the reason why the book is even out is because like, I wanted to answer the question of how do we eliminate that competition where we compare ourselves to people? It's because you're unduplicatable. Welcome to the My Famed Explained podcast, a podcast with the people you know and the personal stories behind their fame. I'm your host, Larry Gilbert. In a world that's filled with so much negativity, kindness is a game changer. Kindness is universally understood in every culture. No matter our age or ethnicity, where we come from or how much money we make, any of us can choose to be kind and make a difference. Adrian Banker explains in her debut book, Your Hidden Superpower, the kindness that makes you unbeatable at work and connects you with anyone. Adrian grew up outside Sacramento and after college went to work for the local affiliate she grew up watching there. She then go on to work at affiliates in Dallas and Los Angeles before getting the call to move to New York to work for ABC News as a correspondent for Good Morning America, World News Tonight, and Nightline. And during these trying, unsettled times in our country, I felt there was no better time to talk to her about her life, career traveling the world, covering some of the biggest news stories, and her book about kindness and how each and every one of us can be kind to others in 2020. So here's my conversation with Adrian Banker. What was it like for you living and working in Manhattan during the early months of the pandemic? Was it a feeling of cabin fever for someone like you, who I'm sure is always out on the road for work covering news events around the world? Oh, it was, I was, no, it was worse than cabin fever. It was literally like emotional distress because I'm a social person and not being out in New York, which is the reason why I came here was I loved the city and I loved the electricity of it and I loved the energy and then for it to be a whole nother place, it was like, where am I? And then not seeing your coworkers, not seeing your friends, not seeing your family for months is not like me. I'm, I'm always going. Yeah. And um, people were not making eye contact. It was hard. It was very hard. I mean, I remember the day, a couple of days I felt like I was breaking down because it was just so tough. And that's when I had to take out my own book and read it because it helped me in other times of personal crisis. So I just said, you know what, Adrian, you either believe your book or you don't. And when I read it, I was reinvigorated to be kind as a way of escape Mm -hmm. and a way of um, and constructive escape. It's not running away. It's how can I help other people? Because it takes the focus off of my problems and it rescues me when I give somebody a life preserver, when I throw them a rope. It actually rescues me when I'm giving them some help, too. Um, So I'm glad I wrote the book, even just for the time I went through. Yeah, and it's it's helped you your your own writing. <laughs> that's how I, that's how I know that it will help other people because it helped me. Like if like I I am sold on the book because it helped me so much. There's so much I want to get to about the new book, but first I want to start at the beginning of your life. You grew up just outside Sacramento. Was becoming a TV reporter a dream of yours from an early age. So who or what had influenced you that you chose the career that you ultimately did? Um, well, I watched. I grew up watching KCRA. Uh, the NBC affiliate, Hearthstone in Sacramento. And I remember looking at the screen when I was a teenager, even younger than that, and I said, I could do that. But I I wasn't quite sure how that happened. So it was just in the back of my mind constantly. And I entered a lot of speech contests as a teenager in my high school years and then college. And so speaking in front of an audience, live audience or recorded, was just something that I really enjoyed. Um, in college, I went to a JC first and did speech there and then transferred to USC in Los Angeles 
And that's where I started hosting talk shows for the TV uh, station there, Trojan Vision, uh, at USC's campus. I took a couple of journalism classes, and then I ended up getting hired eventually in Sacramento at the very station that I grew up watching. So I think that between just finding a passion for speaking and telling good stories in a succinct way, having a good coach in high school, a good speech coach, and then later having mentors who believed in me, um, the path was made more clear. After Sacramento, you go on to work for an affiliate in Dallas and then KBC in Los Angeles before landing at ABC News in New York. I'm sure there were a lot of challenges along the way. So what was that time like in your life from Sacramento to Dallas to L.A. and then to New York? Yeah. So um, while I was in Sacramento, I was recruited by the CBS station in Dallas-Fort Worth. So that was a huge break. I um, moved to Dallas, first time living outside of the state of California, fell in love with DFW and really wanted to be at the network. And I figured that it was time for me to just spread my wings a little bit, even though it was very comfortable for me in Dallas. And I ended up taking a job in LA. But the biggest turning point, uh, because I still couldn't figure out how you get from local news to network news. I had great mentorship. I didn't have an agent and I didn't know how it worked. And so I actually uh, took a job as a freelance reporter for KABC. And the woman who hired me, she had a recommendation for me from a woman in Dallas, Fort Worth, who'd known me my entire career. And her name is Sandra Connell with Talent Dynamics. And she called up um, Cheryl and said, you wanna work with Adrienne Bankert? I've never heard her say a bad word about anyone. Yeah. And so Cheryl called me and said, you know, listen, I can teach you how to be a better writer. I can teach you how to be a better reporter, but I can't teach nice, I can't teach kind. And I need that, you know, we need more of that in the business. And so that's what ended up opening the door to the next stage. In four months, I was introduced to the network. What did that feel like to make it to national news? I grew up watching network television. You know, I watched the local stations, but then I flipped it on at seven o'clock. And, (laughs) you know, it was just, it was important for me to make it to New York City. I had dreamed about moving here from basically college on. And it was a dream come true when I finally got to do it, though the dream looked completely differently than I had pictured it. Yeah. And it was a lot more work um, to be at the network level than I had even ever known. And uh, there were challenges along the way in figuring out what exactly it would take to keep a footing here. But um, one day, you know, they asked me if I would do pop news for Weekend Good Morning America. And they liked me doing pop news and I, and I kept with it, which is interesting because my college degree was technically communications with an entertainment minor. Mm-hmm. So it, it never left me. Um, and I love telling entertainment stories in a real way and just having fun and singing on air was pretty much like what I would do. <laughs> I would sing <laughs> a lot to different celebrities that would pop up and I just had a lot of fun with it. So I could do a fun story like that. That led me to do entertainment interviews with celebrities like Brad Pitt and Viola Davis and Scarlett Johansson and Dwayne Johnson and Kevin Hart, um, Will Smith and so many more. And so I was I was grateful for that niche. And at the same time, I could still do the hard news, like traveling to Thailand and covering the boys soccer team trapped in the cave and helping to tell that story with a team of reporters. We had other correspondents there, of course, James Longman, Matt Gutman did an amazing job before I got there. And then um, 
you know, covering hard news. One of the first hard news stories was literally two, three months after I got to New York. I was on vacation in Fort Worth, Texas, and the Dallas police shooting happened. And so I went from my vacation to rushing in an Uber to downtown Dallas um, by the skin of my teeth, running to the camera. And I had literally like two minutes or less, maybe 45 seconds before they went live to me uh, on Nightline. And I stayed up through the night to cover that story. So, you know, it, it really has matured me, helped me grow, helped me to be more ready at a moment's notice, to be more spontaneous yet strategic because you have to be both. And um, you work really hard, but I really do believe it's the way you treat people that helps you grow in this lane and in any lane that you're in. Is there a particular news story or interview that has had a lasting impact on you and your life and your career? I try to learn from every single interview I do. So I can't tell you that there's one exact opportunity. Um, you know, every time I do a story or anytime I go into work or anytime I'm with my crew, I'm asking myself, why am I really here? Because the writing and the telling of the story and the 90 seconds you're on camera or the 30 minutes you're sitting down to interview somebody, those go away and you have a job to do, but why am I really here? I mean, I always think more intentionally and with greater purpose. It's something that I've just honed in myself. And sometimes the answer is smile, be pleasant, bring some sense of calm and peace to a situation. It's not anything like crazy deep. Um, and then other times it is something very strategic, like, you know, somebody on the crew is having a bad day and you're able to give them that pep talk that they need, or you end up seeing somebody that you wouldn't necessarily cross paths with and you're able to make that connection or reconnection. Um, but I think a big part of, of the interviews that I've done is just in growing in the ability to create atmosphere. I think that a lot of people desire safety. Um, I think of it as my job to make a space feel safe enough for people to be themselves. And because if you're yourself, then you're gonna give the authentic expression of how you really feel or what you really have to say about a topic. And one of those, uh, examples came when I interviewed Lady Gaga and Bradley Cooper. This was in 2018 for A Star is Born. Mm -hmm. And um, before Bradley and Gaga came in, um, Anthony Ramos came in. And my producer waved me over because I'm getting my head in the game, memorizing everything for the interview. And he says, come here, talk to Anthony. I said, oh, hi, how are you? Because I didn't even, hadn't seen him walk in. And my producer so keenly, so right on, had him tell me a story about when he was a child, when he was in high school. And because of this drama teacher, he basically were, was where he is today. So this drama teacher paid for his application to a theater school that he needed to go to, helped him to fill it out, just really invested in him, told me the story. It was a great story. So as I'm sitting there ready to interview everybody, Sam Elliott, who was also there, starts to tear up. And I ask, you know, why are you tearing up? And he tells me about how amazing it's been working with this team of people. And then I go to Anthony and I said, Anthony, you know, talk to us about your high school drama teacher. And he starts crying. And like his face is flushed with emotion. Everybody in the cast is tearing up. I'm tearing up. I later found out all of the producers and publicists are now tearing up and crying. And it was just a very tender moment that I will never forget because they felt safe or they felt accepted enough in that space to be real. And, um, 
you know, you're not trying to make people cry, but it was just one of the most beautiful moments that I've ever been a part of to witness how close and how intimate these folks were. And I write about that in the book. And that changed things because I'm creating that space with how I speak to them, how I speak to the crew, where the chairs are situated, everything contributes to that atmosphere. Yeah, and, I, and I, I watched that interview last night, and I think that for a lot of viewers, what I took out of it was that, you know, people can relate to him, his story, um, you know, and the struggles he had to get to where he is today. And, and you know, I, I think that it was common for, you know, a lot of fans of Lady Gaga. It's the same kind of thing that, you know, that they can kind of relate to her. And she yeah, talks and to I a lot of that. issues that, you know, are important to them and, and that reflect what goes on in their real everyday lives. Yeah, and one of the last posts she posted was just, I love you. You know, I mean, who doesn't want love right now? Who doesn't want somebody who sees them and cares? And it's like, you know, the fact is life is unkind and the struggle is real. You know, there was a time in my life that I talk about in the book when a deal did not go through the way that I planned. You know, I was endeavoring to make the climb. I was endeavoring to make the right choices. I ended up the deal, did, it didn't work out. And so I had to resort to hostessing at a restaurant. And I, it wasn't long. You know, it was just a short time, but yeah. it was eating humble pie. And um, if it was easy, everybody would do this. If it was the same cookie cutter formula for success, you wouldn't have a podcast because like you're interviewing people and everybody's path is different, right? Yeah. So I'm grateful for the hard times and for the celebrations because it really does all add up to your pattern of success. You say the kindness is not just a one-off, like, hey, I did something kind and, and move right. on, and then that makes you kind. It's really more of like a lifestyle. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's who you are. I, What I've told people was what I see is people think that you should know better. So kindness is rooted in, well, you know what to do. You're a grown-up. You learned kindness in kindergarten. When that is not how we do anything else in life. That's like saying I ran as a five-year-old. And so now I'm a really good runner. Yeah. You know, that's like saying I, I learned how to eat solid food when I was two. And now I eat all the right foods for myself. Uh -huh. yeah. <laughs> and anything we do that we want to be good at, we have to prioritize and be intentional about. And so I call kindness a fitness plan by scheduling it by putting it into your calendar, by doing kind things on a consistent basis, whether that's daily, weekly, monthly, uh, having larger than life goals for yourself, for being generous and for reaching other people and helping answer their ask, answer their questions, builds a muscle memory for being kind when you're under pressure. Because right now we're all in this pressure cooker of life and it's still demanded of us to be really kind. You know, in the business, you I know you, you mentioned you're in you have a TV background too. Yeah. There are times when tempers flare. There are times when people get testy and you are expected to respond appropriately. And I think that the key is to have muscle memory for that compassion. And that takes that regimen of kindness so that eventually it goes beyond a workout or a fitness plan, like I call it, and it becomes your identity and your knee-jerk response. Is there a difference between being nice and kind? I ask this because you just mentioned the TV news industry, and I've worked with a lot of people who were who were kind, but the job they were qualified for ultimately went to someone else. You don't want to be classified as a pushover because you feel you will never be able to get ahead. So is there a way to be kind and still advance in your career? My experience is that a lot of people think that nice and kind are the same thing, but they're absolutely not. Nice is politeness. It's exactness. It's precision. It's an execution thing. 
you know, you know that you should acknowledge somebody as they're walking down the hall or walking down the street, you, they're your neighbor. So you nod to them or smile or wave, but there's not a connection necessarily. There's not this, you know, uh, authentic seeing of one another for who they really are as a whole person. Kindness does that because it's much more situationally aware. And, you know, I use the example of my reputation. I'm not perfect. Like I've made mistakes. I've said crazy things. I've said things I regret, but I intentionally worked on not gossiping. I intentionally worked on not saying anything negative about people because I saw how quickly that someone is just one or two degrees away from the person that I'm talking to. And so for me, that great big door of opportunity being at the network came because I followed the first open door, which was to take a job at KBC and to, and to maintain that reputation and to connect with the people who could help me. And I think that the key is to be kind by being aware, be a good listener, be teachable, be willing to help and serve other people. That doesn't make you weak. That doesn't make you a pushover. You're a pushover when you don't express yourself, when you don't have honesty and just tell people what you can and cannot do in the time. A lot of people who are ambitious, and I've done it myself, say yes to everything because they think that that's the key. And it's not. There's times when you have to be kind to yourself and you have to know what your limits are and, and value your time. So it, it's not a cookie cutter for everybody. But in my book, I give some specific examples, some experiential examples so that people can see themselves in those scenarios and in those shoes and actually be better equipped to handle everything case by case rather than trying to find a formula for success. Being a mentor and giving back is important to you and something that you put a lot of time into. The fact that you have impact on these young individual lives must give you hope for the future with some of the challenges that our country is facing right now. Yeah, you know, the thing is, is that for us to think that kindness is weakness is so dated. And, you know, the, the fact that mentors would be kind enough to generously give their life and their time. A true mentor invests in your dream as if it were their own. And a lot of people don't know how to find that kind of a mentor, don't know how to ask for that kind of a mentor, have not seen that kind of a mentor. But you have to remain teachable. A big reason why I want people to be kind is so they will be able to be mentored because mentors aren't always nice. They'll say the thing you don't want to hear. They'll say it in a very direct, blunt way that doesn't sound very sweet because they endeavor to, number one, maximize the use of their time. They don't have time to beat around the bush. And they're also, they're like a coach. I liken a mentor to a tour guide who can help you on a great adventure or to an Olympic level coach who can take you beyond what you thought you could do in your strength, in your stamina, in your performance. And you don't see coaches usually on the sidelines of a field speaking super sweetly about everything that they're, that you're asking me to do. You know, it's not like, well, I want you to, I have a suggestion for you. I'm thinking about this. No, they yeah. say, you need to do this, this, and this. And so I think that for me, influencing the next generation of leaders is about giving them realistic expectations between being kind and being balanced in your strength, because you're going to know your players, you're going to be more situationally aware, you're going to have the proper response for everybody. But really, read chapter, I want to say it's four, which is kind versus nice, because I could never condense it into one little paragraph for you. Okay. It's a whole bunch. And the fact is, is that if you're only concerned about being exact and just being nice, then really you're mostly concerned about not creating conflict. 
And sometimes there is conflict in life and there's a way to handle it every time. With everything that's happening in the world right now, your book is probably needed now more than ever. Um, and so yeah. do, do you ever feel like you might be, and I, I thought of this analogy of like in a canoe paddling up river towards Niagara Falls with everything that's going on <laughs> and you, you going at, towards it with this kindness book? <laughs> no, no. In fact, I got the sweetest message the other day. I would love to share it with you. Um, this woman and her okay. husband run a, a veterinary hospital and she told me I'm ordering 15 or 14 copies of your new book. And she said that over the time of, you know, all the different things that are going on right now, the normally kind office staff of this veterinary hospital has become negative and jaded and that the customers are less kind when they come in with their pets and that's getting to the staff and they're endeavoring to be as empathetic as possible. But you see, all of us are under this pressure cooker and we're all responding in different ways because our emotions are raw. Some of us are grieving. Some of us know someone who's sick or has sadly died because of coronavirus. Some of us don't know how to answer the question to the unrest we're seeing. Some of us are happy about changes that are made and yet still feeling some tension. And so the thing is, is that we need to show each other more kindness because we're all affecting each other in this big ripple. And I don't feel like I'm swimming upstream at all. I feel like this is the answer um, because you can remarkably shift the culture of your company of your household and just you yourself internally once you grasp the identity of kindness it's it's much more about who you are than what you do because once you know who you are you can really do anything and that's part of why i say that kindness makes you unbeatable and i think it can be infectious too you know that if you do an act of kindness to a person or two people then they will be and so on and so forth it refreshes people the fact is is that we're walking through our days with so much on our our hearts and so many burdens, and someone gives you a kindness, shows you a kind act, thinks about you, even from long distance, that can breathe enough oxygen into your lungs to keep you going, to keep that tenacity fired up in you. And that's really what I wanna do. I tell people all the time, you know, we do have mega global sized problems right now in the world. Kindness is not a band-aid to that. Kindness keeps your head in the game so that you can be part of the solution. Because what the world is asking for right now is for problem solvers. And we have a lot of problems to solve. And if we can keep our head clear, if we can be conscious of other people around us, if we can be better listeners, and if we can lead people in a mentoring servant style leadership, then that will be more effective. And what we need is people who can keep their head in the game right now. Would you have any advice for a young person that might be listening to this that might want to follow in your footsteps that say, um, you know, their family might be struggling financially and think, oh, I may not have the same opportunities as, mm. you know, some of my peers or whatever. And, you know, I won't ever have a chance to succeed or anything like that, right. you know, where where you actually can make it an American, have the American dream. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I didn't have all my T's crossed and I's dotted when I was younger either. And so I'm telling you, don't let anything limit you. Really, um, the key is to find someone who believes in you. And one way you find that is by magnetizing yourself for that belief. Wake up every day and give yourself a pep talk. There was one point in my life, and I think I talk about it in the book, that I was really gloomy. And I thought, what is my problem? I, I, I'm grateful. I should be more grateful. Why am I not satisfied? And the thought occurred to me, I'm taking all this energy worrying. What if I took all that same energy and I thought about what would I act like 
if everything was working out for me. And I, and I sat down on my bed. I remember I was like, okay, what would I act like if everything was working out for me? Well, I'd be the happiest girl in the world. I'd be jumping up and down. That'd be the best day ever. I mean, I, I let my imagination go there. I was kind enough to myself to give myself that perspective. And so I started making it a declaration. This is the best day ever. I'm the happiest girl in the world and everything's working out for me. And I would say that no matter what my circumstances said, it felt really silly some days, like absolutely ridiculous because everything around me was dis denying that statement. And yet by me saying that, again, I talk about kindness to yourself in the book for anybody who's listening, no matter what age you are, no matter where you are in the stage of development, you have to decide to believe in you enough to magnetize the people who can help you climb because they will partner with you in the dream. But every day I want you to wake up and I want you to think about what would you act like? Don't, act, don't tell me how you act like when things look hard. What would you act like if everything was working out for you? And meditate on that and be grateful and breathe deep and then do what you can do now. For, for me, it was writing this book that I'm working on my second book. For you, it might be starting a YouTube channel. It might be recording yourself and, and maybe starting a podcast. You can do all of those things from the comfort of your own bedroom now. There are so many more opportunities to start something. And don't worry about how much attention it's getting. Just get to it so that you can get practice because I guarantee you that's how the Ryan Seacrest of the world and the Oprah Winfrey's of the world, they started something. And I believe anyone can be the first step in a great ripple that goes across the world and changes people's lives. Uh, so now you just said that you were working on a second book. And I know you just released this one last month. Any idea when that's going to be weeks. out or is that just years <laughs> out? <laughs> no, no, it it's not. No, it was only eight months to write this one. And then it's the editing process that took over a year. But I, um, no, I write books fast. <laughs> <laughs> I can't tell you what this one's going to be about yet because it's still a surprise to everybody. But okay. um, I write books fast and I'm very grateful for that because I have a lot of stuff in me. See, the thing is that anybody who's listening, they already have a lot of wisdom. Maybe they don't know how to fix their own problem. Maybe they feel stumped in their own life but they can help somebody else because some teacher, some coach, some mentor, some boss invested in them and gave them wisdom that the world needs to hear. And that's what we need. Like for me, one of the big reasons why I wrote the book and why I continue to write the book is because I want people to have a greater sense of identity. But also I just think what makes you so special? I had an aha moment. What makes you so special is you are kind because your kindness is your thumbprint. It's your indelible imprint on the world that no one can duplicate. We will never see another Larry like you ever again in history for infinity and beyond. You are unduplicatable based on who you are, based on your family history, based on your experiences. There will never be the algorithm that duplicates you. There will never be the algorithm that duplicates me. That is amazing. And when you are yourself, then nobody can compete with that. Like part of the reason why the book is even out is because like I wanted to answer the question of how do we eliminate that competition where we compare ourselves to people? It's because you're unduplicatable. Even if somebody pursues the same thing as you, there's no rival. And that really helps you to carve out your own path. That's what people are looking for. They're looking to be special. I'm going to show you exactly how to be special. Yeah, you know, I've never thought of life that way. <laughs> that <laughs> <laughs> It's true. I mean... Literally, because I, I sat down one day and I thought about it. I was like, tell me, what is the answer? 
why do, I mean, because, you know, you could sit there and talk, you could have an analysis of culture and it's like, yeah. people want to be special. Well, if everybody deserves to be treated special, what makes you so special? It's because we'll never, ever see another you. And the world needs that. The world needs your imprint on it. And so don't try to copycat my dream. Don't try to copycat my way. Learn from it and develop it and add it to what you already know to do that I don't even know. Like, take what I know. That's what you want to do with like podcasts. And that's what you want to do with books and and motivational speakers. Take what they've done, add it to your toolkit. Because once it's added to your toolkit, it will be radically different based on your unique experience. And you can come up with the next business idea or the next app or the next book that no one's ever seen before. Yeah, and I think everyone's um, level of joy in in life is kind of different. You know, like for some people, they'll never be a star athlete or an A-list celebrity or whatever. They're just happy doing whatever their their profession is. And maybe it's not, you know, how many houses you can buy or cars you can buy, but you can be happy in life, you know, just doing something that you enjoy doing. Well, and also, too, one thing in the book, because I I was going to name the book something different, um, but I want to make kindness famous. Because there are so many people who want to be famous now, whether it's having a YouTube channel or going viral or they want to create a project or a product. And the thing is, we all want to be known. Even if we don't want to be famous, we want to be known in our community or in our family so much that people understand us and get us so that we belong, like so that we're in a tribe. Everybody longs for that. So I thought, how do we do that? Even for the people who are super introverted and really don't need to have attention put on them, like. How do we like radically make this super simple? And it was, oh my gosh, if we make kindness famous, then the attention's not on the person, it's on the actual thing that does set us apart and makes us special. And when we shine this spotlight on kindness, it makes the world better and us better at the same time. Thanks for taking some time to do this. I know you're, I know you've got a busy schedule, I'm sure, especially uh, with the book app. Yeah, it's been really busy, and I have World News Tonight, and I had Good Morning America today, and I have BBC Radio, so you juggle and you grow with the juggling. (laughs) Oh, my God, yeah. Uh, Thanks so much for for doing this and taking the time again. I really do appreciate it. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. That was Adrian Banker, ABC News correspondent for Good Morning America, World News Tonight, and Nightline, and author of the new book, Your Hidden Superpower. To find out more about the book, you can visit yourhiddensuperpower.com. You can also purchase the book through all major retailers or your local bookstore. Download and follow the My Famed Explained podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And please go to Apple Podcasts and rate us and leave us a review. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Just search My Fame Explained. Have an idea for a future show or want to sponsor the show? You can email us at myfameexplained at gmail.com. Until next time, I'm Larry Gilbert, and this is the My Famed Explained podcast at myfameexplained.com.